0: Please take your copy of God's Word or your smartphone and turn with me to the third chapter Philippians. We're in uh, week three of uh, five, God willing, of talking about the issue of discipleship and being fully devoted followers. And in the middle of this, we'll be ordaining uh, uh, deacons and installing deacons today toward the end of the service. And uh, we're super excited about that. Philippians is my favorite book in the New Testament. And if you were to ask me my favorite book in the Old Testament, I would say after Psalms, I would say Jeremiah, but I know that you love God's Word like I do, but let me just tell you a little story about uh, Philippians chapter 2. I thought about it this morning when I was going out to get in my truck. I did a, uh, I guess you would call it a vanity plate. I had a specialized plate made for my favorite verse, which is Philippians 2, 5, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, okay? So the, the closest I could get was Phil 25, OK, so I have people come up and go, hey, Phil, how are you doing? No, it's not my name. You think, well, Rob, that, that's a neat verse for other people. And I don't know if you do it. You go home and look it up or, or you Google it while you're driving when you're not supposed to be doing that. But anyway, I want to tell you why I did that. Sure, I want other people to know that, that I want to have this and they should have the mind of Christ in them. I did it for me. And I'll tell you why. I remember that I have that on my license plate when I'm driving down Germantown Parkway at rush hour. It's a good reminder. I also have my little Crossroads sticker. I don't have What Would Jesus Do? But I should. But I do that to remind myself to keep the mini gun. Unloaded and on my truck, okay. But I love Philippians, and today and next week we're going to look at this beautiful, beautiful part of Paul's declaration here, beginning in verse seven. But before we do that, I want to recognize these these men because we're moving toward that the ordination and the installation part that you as a church affirmed, and I'm going to ask them to stand with their wives and remain standing. Uh, We have some returning deacons. These men, these are, are men that have served Crossroads before and you have nominated them to come back and serve again. Barney Barnhart, if you would stand with Connie, please remain standing. Philip Brewer and Melody, if they're in here, they may be, Melody is down the hall probably, is that right? Frank Gibson and Wanda, Frank is on the very back row taking pictures of all of you, so what's what you do. Uh, Stephen Gwynn and, and Peg are out of town. This is Peg's mother's 95th birthday. And if you're watching today, Ms. Ernestine from South Mississippi, we love you. Happy birthday. Uh, Brian Haynes and his wife, Shannon. They're in the balcony. Thank you. Uh, Dave Morris and his wife, Sandra. I don't know if they made it today. All right, some new deacons. These folks have been previously ordained at a sister church. Frank Angotti, would you please stand, Frank, and his wife, Karen. Charlie Black and his wife, Sandy. Uh, Noel David. Noel's right over here. Hubert Rushing and Diane. ...holding down the balcony as well. These are folks that will be uh, returning today. And I want you to meet now, but you'll meet a little more of them a little bit later. The ones that we'll be ordaining today. Bryant Langley and his wife, Melissa. Bobby Poole and his wife, Gina. Right here. And Scott Stribb. Thank you. You may be seated. I wanted you to put names with faces for what we're doing today. But look in verse 7 of Philippians uh, chapter 3. Now, keep in mind, this is not just a deacon ordination message. This is for every single one of us. And this is going to be very familiar. If you could see my Bible, you could see thumbprints and probably a tear stain here or there and scratches of my poor handwriting all over it. I just love this section of God's Word. Verse 7, For what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So what you see in this section, and maybe you've heard me preach on this before. You see that Paul wants to be found in Jesus. That's in verse 8. He wants to continue to have faith in Jesus. He wants to have fellowship with Jesus. And he knows that he has a future with Jesus. I pray that that's my declaration today and my testimony today and yours as well. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or already am already perfected, but I press on. I just just wonder if there's anybody watching or in the room today that needs to press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also lay hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward for those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'll never forget a seminary president, and I'm going to step, a seminary professor at Southwestern back in the day, and I just remember it like a lightning bolt to my soul. We were talking about verse 13, and he was given all this background on the Greek and all this background on the, on the cynic structure. And he said, The way this is written in verse 13, but one thing I do that Paul writes, if you, if you can, in staccato. In staccato. One thing I do. Are you with me? One thing, one person we need. Dear friends and dear brothers in Jesus, brothers and sisters in Jesus, more than ever, one thing we need is Jesus. Is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough? Do we live our lives daily really believing and supporting that Jesus is enough? So what is a normal Christian life? What should a deacon or, for that matter, any of us here look like? I believe the scriptures undoubtedly declare that the normal Christian life is a full devotion to Jesus Christ. Anything less than full devotion to Jesus is abnormal, abnormal, not what Jesus intends. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Let me tell you what the, how the Phillips translation puts this. If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, listen to this, he must give up all rights to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It made me think of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In this new life which I now live, I live by what? Faith in the one who loved me and saved me and died for me. You and I are dead men and women, We're dead to ourselves, but fully alive in Christ. We need to give up all our rights. I have my rights. No, we don't have any rights. We just have mercy and grace and blessings, and we should thank him for it. Follow him. This is the normal Christian life, full devotion to Jesus Christ. So what does full devotion to Jesus look like? Paul shows us at least five things in this passage of what a fully devoted follower of Jesus should look like. Today, before we ordain and install these men, let's take a look at at least two of these from Paul's passage here. We're going to look at two of these today. First of all, in verse 7 and 8, look back with me if you will. I want you to notice that a fully devoted follower of Jesus counts all things lost. All things lost. Let me read again verse 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the what? Loss of all things. Loss, loss, loss. He says the things I used to count as gain, I now count as loss. What things he had been counting on as his gains. What were they? We see them in verses four through six. I'm going to give you my paraphrase of that in a second. He felt that he had made great advances. He was a superior, he lived a superior religious life. That God must have been pleased with him. That he was head and shoulders above all others. He says basically this, I was circumcised as a baby, prepared for a God-pleasing life by my parents. I was raised in the temple. I had the right family connections, the right genetics, generations of God-fearing people. I became a Pharisee, a leader in the church. In fact, I was a faultless legalist. I paid so much attention to detail that I never did anything wrong. That's a Pharisee. Now, I'm not sure that any of us that are watching or any of us in this room certainly don't feel this way, but I wonder if you really, at times, have, I really haven't done anything wrong. Now I don't just mean in one little setting, but you think, you know, I do most everything right. What would it be like if we were to think, you know what, Lord, I want to live for you in such a way that I can't do anything right without you leading me? Paul said, this is what I thought of as my gains. I did have them, he asserts, in the asset column, but I've seen their worthlessness, and I've now shifted them over to the liability column. Now, loss, this is a very interesting word. The word here is a word used to describe loss at sea. When a fully laden ship was in a raging storm, things would need to be thrown overboard if there was any hope of the ship making it through safely. The things they threw overboard were described with this Greek word that I'm going to butcher, but I'll spell it for you. Zemia, Z-E-M-I-A, which means loss. Paul says all that stuff was my distraction. I was proud of it. My hopes were in it. I came to my senses, and I threw it overboard. Not only that, I count all things lost to follow Jesus. It's all rubbish, literally dung, filth. It's time for us to throw the distractions overboard. It would be very similar to anything that would distract us from living a life, a normal life. You do not keep garbage in your house when you are about to go out of town. Can I get an amen for that? We don't go to the garbage can and drag that filth back in. A bunch of years ago, I was a counselor at a church camp, and, and in those days, and, I, and I'm thinking about uh, some dentist friends and orthodontist friends in the room today, um, one of our young girls had taken her retainer out and put it on her tray for lunch, and she had just gotten it. And she was taking such good care of it at night and whatever you do with it and all of that, she threw it away. All right? it, went in the, it went in the camp trash, and it went out into the dumpster. All right, this little girl, understandably, she's probably 14 or 15 years old, she had a complete cosmic meltdown. You don't understand. My mom and dad are gonna be so upset with me. I'll never see the light of day again. They might try to stretch me on the board to punish me. You know, I don't know what's gonna happen. She cried and she cried and she cried. Now, I didn't have any interns. Are y'all with me? <laughs> I didn't have any interns in those days. All right, so it was me. It was me. I went dumpster diving, and it was very, very unpleasant. But I'll tell you this. I made somebody else go with me, and we found that little girl's retainer. And I still to this day thought, I don't care what it costs. I don't care how much you try to steam clean this thing. I would not put that thing back in my mouth. Why would, why would we drag filth? Back into our lives. Why would we drag anything around? Please follow me at this. Why would we drag anything around that would, would laden us with missing fellowship and knowledge and the love and grace of Jesus Christ? Career, money, possessions, houses, cars, popularity, fame, security, fashion, the toys of this world. It's all rubbish. It's not nece- necessarily sinful, but it's all Rubbish. Think back when you were younger and you wanted that car, that car more than anything else. That car. If you could just have that car, it would be perfect. Your life would be perfect. Today, and I've said this before, today if you, we drove, that car drove by, we would go, we would laugh at that hoopty that went by. Or we would see it in one of those smash things where you take a sledgehammer and you pay a dollar and smash it. You know, it's all kinds of things that we think we just have to have. But at the end of the day, all that we take to heaven is our soul and the relationships of people we pointed to Christ. And it's so much worth it. All rubbish. I'm not pursuing it anymore. It's gone overboard that I may gain Christ. Friends, is there anything? This is the takeaway for the day. Is there anything you love more than Jesus? I've had to ask myself that question. Is there anything you love more than Jesus? And I pray this just burns a hole in my soul and yours because you know when all of us declare, beginning with this guy right here, when all of us declare, Jesus, I want you more than anything, you know what happens next in our church? Revival. We've had little ones in the baptistry, Jesus, I want you more than anything. Why don't we as adults and leaders and teenagers and students, why don't we say, I want you more than anything, him and him alone, that's full devotion. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. George McArdle was an original member of the Australian music group that I happen to like a whole lot, the Little River Band. Any fans in the room here? Okay, they're going. that's pretty bad, Rob. In the 70s, they sold 25 million records with songs like Cool Change. And I'm going to sing, uh, no, I'm not either. Uh, cool Change was one of their hits. Right before signing another contract with a major record company for $8 million, McArdle gave his heart to Jesus. He walked away right into becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. McCardle was known as Australia's most gifted bass guitarist. He would later say, listen to this, when I gave my life to Jesus and began singing songs about him, my guitar came to life just like my heart. All that other music, I just chunked it. Wow. A fully devoted follower of Jesus counts all things lost. Secondly, look in verse 10. A fully devoted follower of Jesus has a passion to know Christ. Paul says, I've done all this that I may know him. Now let's just focus. We focused on loss. Now let's focus on know. It means to know personally, up close, by experience. Paul is saying, I used to be content with a lot of knowledge about God. Paul had been trained by the best. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading religious scholar of the day. Paul knew lots of his Bible from memory. As a matter of fact, Paul could probably quote most of the first five books of the Bible by memory. Probably could. And he had studied law and theology to a great depth. Please hear me this morning. If you're watching online or in the overflow or in the lobby, please hear this. You can know a whole lot about God, but if you don't know here, but if you don't know him here, you're gonna bust hell wide open. I challenge us, Lord, I want to know you. We get so bogged down in some of the little idiosyncrasies, and I'm not saying they're not important, like, you know, are you Calvinist, are you Arminian? Those, those are all things to be worked out and are very, very, very important. But here the bottom line is, we just need to hunger for him. Lord, I want to know you. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, and we'll talk more about this on another week, a passion to know Jesus, let me tell you what it requires. It requires a lot of quiet time where I don't have it. Well, if you want to know him, you'll find it. And let me tell you the only, and I want to say this very carefully. You can read a lot of great books. I can recommend a lot of great books. I read a lot. But I want to tell you the way to know Jesus is to listen, to be quiet, and to read his love letter. That's the way we can know him. The word know here means to know personally by experience or up close. Paul is saying, I used to be content with a lot of knowledge about God, as I said. He says, but then one day I met the Messiah, Jesus. And you know what? He was not at all what I expected. For all my knowledge, I never knew him. I never knew him. When God revealed himself to, self to Paul in a blinding light along that road to Damascus, it was Jesus. He'd been trying to serve God by opposing Jesus and it turned out to be the same person. And Paul goes on to say, now having caught a glimpse of him, all I want to do is to know him more. That's another takeaway. All I want to do is to know him more. You know, as you, as you make a commitment and as I make a commitment, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to love you more deeply. I want to be humble before you. I want you to make me who you want me to be. I don't want to gloat over this. I don't want to use my knowledge as a hammer against people. Lord, I just want to know you. And you know what happens when we say, Lord, I want to know you? We want to know him even more. Here's what else happens. When you get to know him and you're getting to know him in casual conversations with your family or you're trying to share Jesus with someone, they will see it in your face. They will see it in your face, in your countenance. They will hear it in your words because you will plead with them, please give your heart to Jesus Christ. He he and he alone can change your life. What could be more important in life than knowing the one who created you and saved you for himself? The one who wants to spend not a lifetime, not just a lifetime with me and you, but an eternity with us. You know how long an eternity is? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> it never ends. I Often sit with young couples who are preparing for marriage. I love the premarital process. I really do. It's a neat time to get to know couples, how to pray for them, to hear their stories. I just love the process very much. Other people I know don't like it. I happen to like it a whole lot. There's a series of questions that I've come up with down through the years just to make sure when I'm doing premarital counseling, I just want to make sure in couples in the room that I've married, officiated their marriage, they would tell you this is true. I just want to make sure my responsibility in standing before the Lord with them on their wedding day is to make sure they've turned over every rock and looked underneath it as much as possible. And its I'm going to write a book someday, but it's very interesting what we can do. Every now and then, there'll be a couple that'll say to me something like this. Oh, we know everything about each other. We've shared everything. We are so close. And you know what I do? I just smile. (laughs) I just smile, yeah. Yeah, you just wait that first dirty diaper, dude. You just wait. I've known my sweet wife for 43-plus years. We've been married for 42 years, 40 of them wonderful. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. (laughs) 42 perfect years. I feel like I'm just starting to know her with all the wonderful things there is to know about another person. That may just sound a little cheesy to you, but it's really true. Now, there are times certainly in our marriage and certainly in your marriage that you can complete other sentences, And there are other times when I'll say something and Vicki will look at me and go, you're crazy. You know, I get that a lot too. That's, when when you talk about knowing God, that will occupy us forever. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's awesome. And he wants us to know him because he knows us. Devoted disciples, deacons, and followers of Jesus, hear this, count all things as loss. Have a passion to really know him. That's our prayer for you today. Let's prepare for the ordination. Uh, Bobby and Gina, Scott, Bryant, and Melissa, if you would come forward, please. Ted's going to help us get ready. Ted is our outgoing uh, chairman, and Mark Loftus couldn't be here today, our our new chairman. And we're going to ask, as we uh, Dr. Rogers used to say, that this is the laying on of hands, not words. So we're going to ask the folks that are joining us with the ordination. We're going to ask the uh, deacon officers to join us. Uh, as we lay hands on these folks, the ordained, uh, the ordained staff members to join us as well. And I want to invite any other, Brother Benny, any other ordained men in the room, ordained ministers, I should say, if you'd like to join us, that would be fine as well. And as we are laying hands on these couples today and on Scott, uh, we want to ask you to be in a spirit of prayer. Uh, I want to mention again what we talk about all the time. A deacon biblically is not a decision maker, or oh, they make decisions, they make important decisions within the church. They are uh, servants, they are towel bearers, and in these, these 12 plus years, almost 13 years, the deacons the Lord has brought our way have been incredible. Just had prayer with one of them before the service started today, and, and that, that just means so much. So as we proceed here today, would you be in a spirit of prayer for these folks? We'll start. Brian, would you, would you lead out please? an honor and a privilege today. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment, but I want to present some certificates of ordination uh, to these folks here, and uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Mikey Muborn to pray the ordination prayer after this, if you would. Scott Shroob, thank you, brother. Bobby Poole, thank you. Bryant Langley. Would you all stand for the, you right here, stand for the prayer, please, and then you can go back to your seats before the invitation.
1: Dr. Muborn, Let's pray. Father God, the office of a deacon is, is nothing we take lightly. It's a very important role. It's a role that you have um, not only uh, brought forth, but you laid out its importance and its qualifications. And so, Lord, I pray for these brothers that come today um, and being ordained today. I thank you that they have lived a life of a great reputation, repute. Um, They've been full of the spirit and full of wisdom, as the book of Acts chapter 6 tells us about. And I pray that you would help them and empower them and strengthen them to do all that you've called them to do at crossroads here. And Lord, I thank you so much for their willingness to serve and uh, along with their wives. I thank you for the heart there of the family. I pray a special prayer on the family as a unit. I pray that you would help them to be um, the the folks that they're called to be in this uh, great ministry adventure. Lord, thank you for their hearts. And I pray a blessing upon them. Help them, give them guidance, give them wisdom, fill them with your spirit and help them to be all that uh, that you have for them. Um, Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much that you have deacons in this church that love you and love this body. We pray that you would continue to empower them, continue to teach them, continue to help them, Lord God, throughout this incredible journey. We love you, Lord God, and thank you, thank you for growing our deacon ministry. Thank you for growing our deacon body, and thank you for doing a mighty work here at Crossroads. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: As these folks head back to their seat, would you like to express your love to them today? God bless you. We're going to have a hymn of invitation in just a moment before we leave. We have met, we have sung, we have prayed. A few of us have cried. Some today have offloaded, offloaded those things that are considered loss. Others are contemplating that. There's some in the room and some watching today that maybe that sack of rocks you brought into the room today, you just want somebody to pray with you. Jesus is the burden bearer. He's the way maker. He's the pain taker. Give all that to him today. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come to Jesus right now. Oh, you may know about him just as we've preached on today. But do you know him? The longest distance in the world is the 18 inches between your head and your heart. Only Jesus can bridge the gap that sin has created. Would you come to Jesus today? We're not talking about if you've been a Baptist, a a Catholic, or a Presbyterian. That's all fine. But today, you know that you need Jesus Would you be the first one down the aisle, even if you're at the top of the balcony, even if you're in the choir floor, or one of the overflows in the lobby? Come to Jesus. If you're watching online today, 901-309-7777. If you get a voicemail, somebody will call you back. Come to Jesus. Secondly, if you just want to come alone or come with someone to the altar and pray, that's why it's built this way. It perfectly fits your feet or your knees. And it can more than handle your tears. Come today. If you're here and you believe the Lord is leading you to be a part of the Crossroads family, you know Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you're imperfect like we're imperfect, would you come today? Don't just be an attender. Be a family member. Come to Jesus. Come today. Whatever decision you need to make, maybe it's about baptism, come. Father, I pray in these moments, you would move in every heart and in every life as only you can. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Who will be the first to come today?